Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, my finest friends. Welcome to the 20th episode of Season 9 of the Tom Petty Project Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Brown. This is the weekly podcast that digs into the entire Tom Petty catalogue, song by song, album by album, and includes conversations with musicians, fans, and people connected with Tom along the way. I hope that you all really enjoyed the Guest Amber episodes that I put out last month. It was a lot of fun to chat to so many fantastic people, and I still have my 10 questions with Mark Lindsay for you uh, this Friday. I simply ran out of time over Christmas week uh, to get that one edited, so it'll be an early 2024 bonus episode for you. Um, I hope everyone had a really great holiday break. Uh, We celebrated with family, music, beer, and way, way too much food. Exactly the way I like it. Um, I also just wanted to wish everyone a very happy new year. I hope it's full of love, laughter, and time spent well. I always say at the end of the episodes to try to say I love you to someone at least once a day, and I'm not being glib or trite when I say that, and I find the act of doing that makes me feel good just as much as it hopefully improves the mood of the person I've said it to. Um, 2023 was a challenging year for so many people, and this year will be much the same in many parts of the world and many parts of our respective societies, so any small acts of kindness you can do to help people with their day, they're always going to be appreciated. Now, look, I'm at risk of becoming a little preacher here, so I'll stop, but if we have one New Year's resolution, Let's make it an overabundance of kindness. Over on social media last week, we were discussing the last song we covered, Too Good To Be True. I asked you how you'd rate this song, and the vote came back overwhelmingly in the 7 to 9 range, which I think is about right. I think my vote was a 7 for that one. Uh, there was one vote each for 10 out of 10, and one between a 1 and a 6, but overall I think we're all agreed where this one sits. Our long-time listener, and some future point, a guest, Bob Reedy, gave the song a 9 and commented, Great song and episode. Thanks, Bob. Um, The first two songs are the best, the rest are great, but the best two you already did. On this album and Full Moon Fever, Tom front-loaded the album with the best songs, even though every song is great. And not to start out Who's Better debate, but Bruce Springsteen on albums like Born to Run, Darkness on the Edge of Town, The River, Born in the USA, and Tunnel of Love, better distributed the elite songs. On Wildflowers, Tom evenly distributed the great songs. Now, I think that before I started this season, I probably would have agreed that, you know, Integrate Wide Open is front-loaded, but... Once I'm done it, I'm not as sure I'll end up in the same space. The deep cuts on this record are so consistently good to excellent, and we're heading into another one of those killer deep cuts today. Mark Lindsay, uh, my guest from last week and and again this week from Sight and Sound, said, uh, a solid 8, 10 on any other artist's album. Uh, And I think as Petty fans, that's something we all sort of agree with usually. You know, even Tom's weaker tracks are usually better written than most artists' greatest hits. And I do want to say a real quick shout-out and thank you very much to Mark because he had sent me over the Christmas holidays, two things. He sent me a sort of a little care package from the Sight and Sound program with some sunglasses and some, um, some you know, lens cloths and, and, and a polo shirt and a whole bunch of stuff. But then I also, he sent me um, a T-shirt from uh, a Matt Jaffe gig that he just went to, which was completely unexpected and really, really nice of him to do because he didn't have to do that. Um, but again, small acts of kindness, folks. Um, they do mean a lot. My executive producer, Paul Roberts, rated this one an eight. And Pete Nestor, from the Honest and Unmerciful podcast commented eight, but elevated as part of the tapestry of this run of songs. The whole is greater than the sum of the parts. By the way, I'm really seeing this album in a different light because of your podcast. Not a bad trick you've pulled off, entertaining the masses, while also giving us an even greater appreciation for Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers music. Well, um, that's such a wonderful compliment from a music nerd and a musician who I have tremendous respect for, folks. Um, so thanks so much, Pete. Um, and that's what snuck up on me with this record too. And I think I commented on that today as I'm as I'm recording this um, in, a, in response to you that you know the cohesion and flow of this is so much tighter and clever than I've ever really noticed before. And I 
I love this album a great deal more than I did before I started this season. So job done for this uh, for this format and this podcast, I think, right? Um, thanks to everyone, as always, for your comments. Uh, you keep leaving them, and I'll keep reading them. Today's episode looks at the third track from side two of Into the Great Wide Open, the breathlessly paced Out in the Cold. Go check out the episode notes for a link to the song if you want to listen to it before we dig in. In Conversations with Tom Petty, Tom tells author Paul Zolo that this song was originally an idea of Jeff Lynne's. He says, that's his arrangement. He started that song and then brought it to me, which was unusual. He came in and said he had an idea. It went through a lot of changes from where it was brought in, like from major to minor, but he kicked it off. He concludes, it wound up being a good rock and roll song. It's nothing earth-shaking, but it's a good rock and roll song. And though a good rock and roll song it is, the track was never played live after the tour for the album wrapped up, and was last played on both nights of a two-night stand in Hamburg, Germany. The song opens as it means to go on, furiously. Stan Lynch plays a six-note machine gun snare fill that leads straight into the full band blistering into the intro in B minor. Um, It's pretty hard to imagine this one being in a major key riff, and you have to think that the switch to minor would really have sparked the whole song into life. Underneath that wonderfully lightly distorted lead guitar riff that Mike Campbell's playing, there's a second guitar playing the same line on a more fuzzed-out guitar tone. Um, and they're sort of balanced slightly into the left and right channels, so you can you can make them out. Um, so that riff, though only playing single notes, still has some meat to it because of the doubling and the different tones being used. The rhythm guitar is just chugging power fifths, with the bass guitar drilling out the eighth notes of each chord. So immediately, the song has a sense of breathless momentum that doesn't let up through the entirety of the track until the very, very end. And we'll get to that. After that eight-bar intro that ends on that big two-chord push and Stan Lynch's six-note fill again, we head straight into the first verse. The day fell down, the air got cold, I walked out in the street. Straight away, this one to me becomes a very close soulmate to running down a dream. It has that same driving power to it, the same guitar-forward melodic hook, but a dark rather than a sort of a light or more hopeful uh, theme and lyric. In this A section, that muted, chugging rhythm guitar becomes more fully palm-muted and it sounds like it has a little less distortion on it as well. It's also joined by a brighter guitar playing broken chords. Um, the chord progression follows through the intro, B minor, G, E for two bars each. Um, it then changes to land on an E minor seventh for this first pass through. Uh, the second time through, however, it lands back on the A major, with Stan Lynch then thundering his floor toms into the chorus. So we're getting in, we're getting out with this thing. It's not hanging around. Tom is holding his vocal here right on the edge of that clean, natural voice that he uses, but threatening to jump into his harder edge tone at any moment. It keeps both the tension and suspense high throughout the instrumentation and melody. Heading into the chorus, the doubled riff comes back in, and we have a wide-open distorted guitar playing those broken chords again, and the chugging rhythm guitar drops out to lead the bass, keeping that pace up. We need this slight change here, too, to leave some space for the call-and-response vocals in this section. Um, you know, we get Tom singing the lead line, and then a big harmony, but like probably three-part harmony vocal, singing that next line back. There's also a not-so-subtle change here that makes the B section feel slightly faster. Through the intro and verse section, the chord changes happen after two bars, but in the chorus, there's a chord change on every four beats instead of every eight. So without actually changing the tempo or the time signature, the song feels like it has a slight pickup. On the eighth bar of the chorus, we get that fantastic descending run on the lead guitar from Mike Campbell. It drags into an extra ninth bar as the instrumentation dies off before that signature six-note fill on the drums drives us back into a a two-bar instrumental break into the next verse, 
um, this break just being a, a B minor chord from the intro for two bars. The second verse chorus pair really don't do anything differently at all. There are a couple of brighter notes mixed a little higher in the right channel, you know, on those broken chords in the verse, but the song almost just wants to get to the bridge as quickly as it can. And this it is a great bridge. I really like the bridge in this song. The percussion here changes as the kick moves to play all four beats of the bar instead of the backbeat. Um, we also have a floor tom now joining those eighth notes and a cowbell matching the kick. The riffs now are straight, B-fifth, A-fifth, alternation with two big, crunchy, chugging guitar parts joined by that, that cleaner guitar tone playing a, you know, like a suspended four-note pattern. But this plays for four bars, the second of which Tom adds in a spoken word, I'm out, standing in the doorway. We get a two-bar build once more with the bass and both heavy guitar parts playing that up-down two-note pattern leading into the solo. Alright folks, it's time for the first Petty Trivia of 2024. Your question from the Too Good To Be True episode was this. Other than Learning To Fly, which song from Into The Great Wide Open reached number one on the US rock chart? Was it A, Into The Great Wide Open, B, Out In The Cold, C, King's Highway, or D, Making Some Noise? Well, so it's actually today's track. Um, which hit number one on the US rock chart despite not being released as a single. And the fact that this song and Making Some Noise both did well on the US rock chart irked Tom a little at the time. In conversations with Tom Petty, he tells Paul Zolo, I was kind of irritated with it. I thought they were going after it because it had the big beat. I think I wanted people to hear the versatility on the album. But he goes on to say that years later, when rehearsing the song um, before a tour, he found that he liked it more than he remembered. Your question for this week is this. What was the only song from Into the Great Wide Open that the Heartbreakers played during their 1997 residency at the Fillmore? And it's not on the live release. Was it A, Into the Great Wide Open, B, Learning to Fly, C, Two Gunslingers, or D, King's Highway? Okay, back to the song. This is where the track really strikes. He was having a, this very running down a dream similarity. As Mike Campbell shreds a very off-the-cuff sounding bluesy solo that has, you know, phrases that showed up during his classic Full Moon Fever masterpiece. It has all the swoops and dives and fast hammer-ons that you expect, but it's again perfectly constructed so as to maintain the careering, almost out of control, tempo and feel of the track. Underneath this solo, we still have that chugging guitar and the arpeggiated part keeping plenty of meat on the bones of this section by playing the verse progression fully through. And when Paul Zola mentions to Tom that, again, Mike's playing on that one is great, Tom says, yeah, well, he's always good. He really stepped out on that one. I remember the way he played in the stops. There were some stops where he really wowed us all. Shazam! How did he do that? Unlike Running Down a Dream, this solo doesn't lead out the song. Rather, it plays for 16 bars before leading back into that bridge pattern, with Tom adding more spoken words. I'm out, walking around, hands in my pockets before crashing headlong into the chorus. We get a small change in this last chorus too, with Tom changing the delivery on the line with nowhere to go, because he goes up uh, an octave on that, last, on that go. Um, this last chorus also hangs on the seventh and eighth bars, rather than adding that additional ninth bar before going back into the intro progression. 
And again, here after eight bars, Mike Campbell plays a trademark single note solo and Tom adds some yeahs and some woos. Now at this point, you might be expecting a fade, but this is one of my favorites, if not my very favorite ending on the record. After passing through the intro progression twice with the vocal and lead guitar builds, we go back into that full throttle, four on the floor kick, floor tom, cowbell drum section for three bars before a huge syncopated push to finish the song. Well, we think it finishes the song. After the notes fade and decay away, we hear a door open. Tom say, what's in here? Some crowd noise that sounds something like a noisy street scene before Tom says, oh, and closes the door. For me, this is almost like writing a movie that you know is going to have a sequel and leaving a small cliffhanger there. You know, or you think about something like, it's your kids, Marty. Something's got to be done about your kids in Back to the Future. The movie stands alone as it is, but that scene leads into the second perfectly. Uh, the ending to this song feels like the same thing, a little teaser into the next episode. Now, whether we get the sequel on this album or a future one or at all remains to be seen, but you better believe I'm going to do my best to find one. Lyrically, this one's definitely written from the point of a relationship that's soured, but again, it's written broadly enough that you can look at it through a few different lenses. The first verse is scene setting. It's the same thing he does in Something Big, where he sings, it didn't feel like Sunday, it didn't feel like June. In this song, instead, we're told that the day fell down, the air got cold, I walked out in the street. And I love that metaphor for the onset of night, the day fell down. It's more than just a waning, it's a capitulation. And like Two Gunslingers, it has that very visual cinematic element too. Daydream for a mile or two, staring at my feet. We can see this in our mind's eye. After this, the lyrics become more focused on the misfortune that has befallen the subject of the song. Like a working boy, out of luck, falling through the cracks, night rolled in, I turned back home, a hard wind at my back. So now we suspect that this walk that the narrator has been on is probably or possibly to try to clear their head. Then we get the chorus line, I'm out in the cold, body and soul, there's nowhere to go, I'm out in the cold. So the two central ideas in that first verse are summarized by the line, I'm out in the cold, body and soul. It's literally cold outside, which reinforces the emotional chill that this character is feeling. Verse 2 then sets the scene again. Now, though, we're seeing the protagonist awaken, seemingly disoriented and imbalanced, again, both physically and metaphorically, as they fall trying to grab their keys. And with the second half then switches again to that more introspective point of view, I thought of you, starry-eyed, I wonder where we stand. It's now fairly apparent that the narrator simply doesn't know where he or she is at at all. We then get the excellent closing line in this verse, did I just fall from your arms down into your hands? And there's a clear and defined difference there between being in someone's arms which is usually linked to security and connection versus being in someone's hands which has a much more dependent um, helpless connotation you know my life is in your hands in conversations with tom petty tom says i struggled with the lyrics quite a bit it was one of those things where you struggle and you always wonder if you got everything out of it that you could he does go on to say though during that rehearsal i talked about earlier um, that he found that he enjoyed the lyrics but i think the way they're crafted belies any notion of uncertainty on his part I love that alternating point of view in the two halves of the verse and then the two halves of this relationship, you know, in someone's arms and then their hands. We also get one more duality in the rhyming scheme of the chorus. Out in the cold is the first and last line in each couplet, rather than consistently the first third or second fourth. In a short, frenetically paced song like this, I think it's a really economical snapshot of the decline of a relationship, any relationship. And as I mentioned, though this one seems fairly overly narrative about an interpersonal relationship, we don't know whether the antagonist is a man or a woman. We don't know if it's marital or physical, parental. It could be a mentoring relationship, a business relationship. There's no reference to any of these elements. So although our first intuition is that this is probably a romance gone wrong, 
we can apply this to many, many aspects of many different lives and many different situations. That's just damn good songwriting and something Tommy's knocking out of the park in pretty much every single track on this album, certainly lyrically. So the more I listen to this song in isolation, there's something that makes me think of it as a companion to Running Down a Dream sonically, but it also there's something that connects it with Love is a Long Road thematically, in my brain at least. And I actually created a three-song playlist with those songs sequenced with Running Down a Dream first, this one second, and then Love is a Long Road last. You get that, oh, from this song, followed by those opening synth chords. And man, does it play well. I think I'll call it the Down and Out EP. <laughs> Okay, Pettyheads, that's it for this week. Um, although Tom was slightly miffed that the radio had this one on pretty regular rotation, I think there's a reason for that. Outside the, in his words, big beat. It's also got a really hummable, catchy riff, a very cool middle section, and a superb ending, and just a big chorus that sticks in your brain. There's pretty much nothing I don't like about this song, so I'm going to put it at, at least the same level as some of the other great deep cuts on this record. But I think it just... You know what? I think I'm going to edge this up to a nine. I love this track. Um, it's always kind of been a standout for me on Into the Great Wide Open as a deep cut. It's super memorable. Yeah, I, yeah without any compunction, I'm going to give it a 9 out of 10. There we go. Hey, I'm Corey. I'm Scott. We're going through every single Aerosmith song. To create the ultimate band mixtape. Corey, do you remember mixtapes? I sure do. Join us every Wednesday for Backtracks Aerosmith Revisited right here on the Deep Dive Podcasting Network. The Tom Petty Project is a proud member of the Deep Dive Podcast Network. Go check us out on Twitter at Deep Dive Podnet. Uh, you can also check out my other podcast, Seaside Pod Review, a Queen podcast that I do with my best friend Randy who, as you know, or some of you should know, that performs all the music that you hear in this podcast. And also check out the Ultimate Catalog Clash that I co-host with the hardest working man in podcasting, Corey, the legend, Morissette. Don't forget to follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Threads, and YouTube at The Tom Petty Project, and on Twitter at Tom Petty Project. Go follow, like, subscribe, do all those things for me if you can. Uh, leave a review or a rating, or and a rating, if you haven't done that already, including on Spotify, which now is allowed those types of things. Keep talking to me on social media, and I'll keep reading out comments on the show. Um, as a weekly reminder, the Tom Petty Project is not affiliated with the Tom Petty Estate in any way. When you're looking for Tom's music, please visit official streaming platforms or go buy some music from your independent record seller. Um, they'll order in for you. Just go, go speak to people who, who have businesses who um, you want multi-billionaires. If you're looking for official merchandise, go to TomPetty.com. And if you're looking for merchandise for this show, please go to TomPettyProject.com. Don't forget to check out the Tom Petty Nation and Tom Petty Fans Forever groups on Facebook if you're not already a member. There are lots of very cool people in there, including one uh, Dana Petty. Um, I think Adrian hangs out sometimes in TPN, and there's a few people in there who you're going to want to listen to what they have to say. Until we meet again next week, keep listening to and sharing Tom's music. Try to be kind. Try to say I love you to someone at least once a day. Remember, little acts of kindness. Stay safe and healthy, and I'll be back with you next week to talk about the fourth track from side two of Into the Great Wide Open. You and I will meet again. Bye-bye. <laughs>